Thank you, Jamie. Did I miss any blanks? Or are you guys good? 2A2, uncaring, uncaring. Ignorant. Some people don't know, some people don't care. Oh, Deb Gustafson. I missed two C, the little two. Last days. Oh, gotcha. Last days. Paul, Paul uses the phrase, this present evil age, in a couple places. Mm-hmm. And so it's, that's when, when, if that's what he means by the days are evil, then it's a reference to we're in the, this age, which is the last days age, even though the last days have been going on for over 2,000 years. Um, but because of the reference to chapter 2, it could also, and probably even more likely be, these days have a ruler. These days have a direction and a movement. And so we need to really grab every little bit we can get because we know what's going to happen to the time if we don't. It's not like the time's just going to sort of be neutral. Other forces are at work trying to make the most use of the time for their ends. That's kind of the idea. Um, any other blanks? Or we can open it up to questions. I got places we can go if you don't have questions. Just so you know, I'm not just going to let you on early. I got a hand. I don't have a handout. I have a sheet. But first, any questions? This week, last week, any any week in Ephesians. Oh, Renee Lucia. On five twenty four, um, are there any exceptions to that? In on five chapter five verse twenty four. Yes. You're getting ahead here. Um, so you're referring to a wife obeying her husband in everything. Um, the what we get from the book of Acts when because we're told to obey Caesar, right? No, no, no. In in Romans thirteen, no caveats, no qualifications. But we know from the book of Acts that when the apostles are commanded to not preach Christ, they say, you decide for yourself, is it better for us to obey God or you? So clearly, a wife is not to obey her husband if he's calling on her to sin. I'm not aware of any other exceptions, biblically, that I could justify. So we will get there, and I'll have had a chance to do more study, but that's my short answer. Just like I'm not aware of any other exceptions in any other authority structure whether it's children and parents, whether it's the government, whether, I mean, I'm not aware of any other, um, other, uh, any other exceptions when God places an authority. Um, and anyway, that's, we'll get there. We'll get there in a few weeks or months. There may be a brief sermon series before we get to that. <laughs> that's right. There may be. Who knows? Got an elder meeting on Tuesday. We'll find out. Okay. Um, so, what else? What else? Any other questions? I'm not jumping too far ahead. Uh, that's as much as I can give without having done more detailed study, but yeah. Um, I'm going to go down my rabbit trail. 
Going once, going twice. Okay, so I want to I jump off that point of knowing the will of God. So in Ephesians, I think the will of God is tied more closely to the idea of his revealed purpose and will. I, I, like I said in the message, I think um, being filled with the Spirit, discerning the will of God, being wise are all tied up in the same thing. We even saw as we were tracking God's wisdom, it's the spirit of wisdom, and his wisdom is about his purpose and his will and his plan. I, I think walk in accordance with, mindful of, attentive to what God has said he is doing in the world. And you're going to need the spirit to do that. Um, but because so often we get concerned about what God's will is, and usually when we get caught up in the issue of God's will, we, we're worried about the particulars. And that's not to say the particulars aren't important. It's not to say, should I go to this college or that college is an unimportant decision. Should I buy this car or that car? Should I pursue this person for marriage or that person for marriage? Um, those are important decisions, but that's not the primary importance we want to get to. I want to do a brief, brief survey. I am piggybacking off of John MacArthur to some extent here um, on what Scripture says God's will is. And so if you would turn to Second Peter. There are a couple of passages that speak of God's will. And what I'm going to argue is that in regards to knowing God's will, if you set yourself to do the things he has said is his will, you will have the wisdom and the freedom to know what to do in those areas where he hasn't said what his will is. There's going to be a sense of, hey, if you're submitting yourself to the Lord, when it comes down to which car you want to buy, do what you want. Now, that's a big qualification because if you're submitting yourself to the will of the Lord, you're going through the Proverbs. You're seeing what it has to say about money and costs and everything. But at the end of the day, do it, do it, walk, do it in faith, do it in love, do what you want. Like, there's a freedom of the Spirit. But we've got to start with what God's revealed will is. So, so God's revealed will is that you would be saved, that people, the gospel would go out. So 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any, or not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. First um, Timothy 2, 3-4, this is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So what is God's will? God's will is for your salvation. You've got to start there. God's will is for the salvation of others. Um, and, and so that's got to be a starting point. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians. Um, and then the, the, the logic being this, if you're caught up in wondering, well, what does God want me to do? If you're not doing the stuff he plainly told you in print to do, what business do you have asking for the stuff he hasn't? But if you're trying to be faithful with the stuff he's said is his will, then by all means, ask for wisdom, pray, and then act. Um, and so this isn't as much a study of Ephesians as it is jumping off of Ephesians, the will of God passage, but I think it's, it's, it's helpful because it actually doesn't show up as often as you might think as regards to instructions for us. So I actually got to get to First Thessalonians and stop just jibber-jabbering. Um, let's go. First, there we go. There we go. Okay, First Thessalonians chapter... Five. No, four. First Thessalonians 4. Verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, 
What does he mean by that? That you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in the matter because the Lord is an avenger in all such things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity but for holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man but God who gives his Holy Spirit. What's God's will? Be pure, be holy, you be sanctified. MacArthur makes it all S's, so it's saved, sanctified, you know. Um, but you can plug it in. But there's a clear passage, God's will for your life. Plain, direct. This is God's will for you and for me. Um, so that we'd be pure. That's what I put in. Go a chapter over to 1 Thessalonians 5.18. It's God's will that we would be thankful. First. Timothy, 1 Thessalonians 5, um, 18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. What's God's will? That you and I would become more and more thankful in all circumstances. Not for all circumstances, but in all circumstances. Um, even in tragedy, you can give thanks, not for the tragedy, but for thanks. <laughs> that in all circumstances, you can give thanks. Um, this is God's will for you. So he wants us to be saved. He wants us to be pure. He wants us to be thankful. Now let's go over to 1 Peter 2. He wants us to be submissive. He wants us to be submissive, obedient, not just to him, but to his emissaries he puts in our life as our authorities. So 1 Peter 2. Give you a little grammatical overview here. Uh, Lee, you know the difference between a finite verb and a participle, right? Finite verb, participle. Okay. So a finite verb happens in time and space. Participles get directed by finite verbs. The verb to submit occurs a number of times from 13 onward. The only time it occurs as a finite verb is in 13. It's a participle in every other form, which means... It's unpacking and developing the flow of thoughts. So the command, be subject, 1 Peter 2, 13, for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And then he's going to make it clear what he is. The emperor is supreme. The governors is sent by him to punish those who do evil, to praise those who do good. And then here's your will of God statement. For this is the will of God. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So be subject, obey your leaders, because God wants our good conduct to put to silence those who um, resist. So for those of you who may struggle with, with our asking people to wear masks, I'd say, by your good conduct, silence those who would... Um, we're just trying to follow our governor's instructions. There's one example. So Christians should be regularly looking to lay down their rights, lay down their prerogatives, and submit so that in doing good and being seen to do good, we could silence those who um, would silence the, silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as slaves of God. Servants is way too weak there. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. And then he goes on to his first case in point. Servants, or better put, slaves. Be subject to your masters with all respect, 
not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. I mean, this is some hard stuff. If we ever get around to teaching the first Peter, this is a tough section. He's talking to slaves who have masters. Servants don't have masters. Slaves have masters. He's talking to slaves, and he's saying, not just to those who are good and faithful, not just to those who are gentle, for this is a gracious thing when mindful of God one endures but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. He has in view a slave who's serving heartily and faithfully, who's getting punished for it. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you've been called. To what? To suffer wrongly as we submit to human authority. That's what we've been called to. For Christ also suffered, leaving you an example. The Greek word for example, hupogramon, is a stencil you trace your letters around. So Christ's life of submitting himself to the corrupt leaders of his day, submitting himself to false accusations, submitting himself to crucifixion, that example of submission and, and doing good and silencing foolish people is something we're supposed to trace our lives around. I want you to get how far Peter's pushing this point of be subject, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution. Um, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He, and the argument here is, look at how much God accomplished through the willing submission and suffering of his son. And by implication, what do you think God can do through your and my? How much good can God do through your and my willing submission and suffering? He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Likewise, wives, be subject. Likewise, what? It's all linking back to 2.13. This, this ties in with your question earlier as well. Because here we have disobedient to the word husbands in view, which either describes a, a wayward believer or an unbeliever. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see a respectful and pure conduct. That, that's the flow of the argument. And so I'm, I'm linking in with Paul's statement. It's a general principle that God wants us being submissive to the authorities he's placed in this world so that by doing good, we can put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So 1 Peter 2, verse 15. This is the will of God. By doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. That's God's will, that we would submit. Children would submit to their parents and all the way up the chain, all these institutions that God has put into place that we would not rebel and bristle and push back against them, but that we would use them as opportunities to demonstrate our submissive willingness to obey God, just as Jesus did. That's God's will. I'm belaboring that one, because that's one of the, probably the more difficult ones for us to get on board with. Um, and finally, 1 Peter 4.19, tying in with that, one other one, um, is... Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Um, there's, we know that all who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. And so God would have us trust him, lean into, not lean out of suffering. 
So th th that's as far as I could find, and this is John MacArthur's survey, a survey of statements of God's will. God's will is you be saved, that you would be pure and holy, that you would be thankful in all circumstances, that you would submit yourself willingly to all the institutions of authority he's placed in this world so that we, by doing good we could silence um, the, the foolish men and that we would be willing to trust him in even suffering and entrusting ourselves to him. And that's God's will. And if we're engaged in that, I, I think then we can start asking, okay, is it your will that I go to this school or that school? Is it your will I take this job or that job? And, and I think that because of the amount of walking in the Spirit it's going to take to the others, that's where we're likely to, that's where I believe God will give us the wisdom we know to act. We need to act. But so, so often, people want to know God's will, and there's like house fires going on in their spiritual life. <laughs> it's like, God's will is for you to stop arguing about this and go, you know, get rid of your computer or go whatever. Um, it, it's obvious. So that's my aside on the will of God. Any questions on any of that? Little. I could photocopy this if you want. If, could you could you photocopy this, Jim? Who wants one? Anyone want one? Okay. And make make fifteen. Go make. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. Um, um, any other any other questions on any of that or anything else that's been covered? Yes, Lee. Here comes Sophie. Oh no, Sophie. Lee. Oh. Oh, sorry. We got three questions. We'll take them in order. We... <laughs> okay, Janet. Okay, you um, at the end of your service gave um, uh, uh, the the poem by Stud. Yes. yes. Sorry, I couldn't spit that out. Yeah. Could you repeat that again? Um, oh, the, we the need name. to photocopy that again. Well, okay. not, oh, not C no, not... C T Stud. S T U D U D. Okay. And if you just search um, all that's done for Christ, only what's done for Christ will last. Stud poem. You'll find that no problem. I actually had to cut a couple verses out because he's got a lot of them. There's, it's great, but I'd heard just the the closing couplet so many times. I thought it was. I thought the poem was worth reading. Okay, George. Hello. There we go. Um, for. What are your What are your thoughts on guidelines for when, uh, like when your lips are leading you into a fight versus when, like what situations or what variables lead to speaking? Wow, that's a that's a big question. I, let me come back to that with whatever time we have. I'll be happy to do that. But we're having lunch today too, so we can talk then. Let me see what Lynn, Lee's question is, and then with whatever time we have, I'll hit that. That's a great question. That's a big question. So, Lee. Uh, it's not a question, but it's a verse I was trying to find here in James, which I've been unsuccessful, but that God, I believe it's in James, it says he will give wisdom to those who ask. If any of you lack wisdom, yeah. ask. Yeah. So yeah. The, that's encouraging because, like you say, if you're doing all this other stuff, theoretically, at least attempting to keep your house in order, then you ask God for wisdom. He says he will give wisdom. Yes. Then go for it. Then, yes. Then you make your move. Yeah. Yes. Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. But, but in James, wisdom is fundamentally, James chapter 1. 
it's right out of the gate. So like James um, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion greetings, consider it all, I mean, boom, consider it all joy, my brothers, and encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect results so that you'll be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, and so the flow of the argument there is you need to learn to endure trials because they're going to mature you and they're going to make you complete. But if you find yourself not mature and complete yet so that you need wisdom, ask for it. But again, the assumption is you're engaged in this process. I'm trying to count it all joy, Lord, in these trials. I'm trying to grow and mature, but I'm not sure what to do. So it's not, I don't know the question, the answer for this question on my exam for physics. Lord, you said it. But it's in the context, I need wisdom to know how to respond to my trials rightly. I need wisdom to know how to mature in my trials rightly. I need wisdom to know what to do. Oh, oh yeah, God says, I just give it. Just give it liberally, freely. If you ask in faith, that's the only qualification. You must ask in faith. Okay, next question. We're not going to, I don't think we're getting to your question, George. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, my deal is what do they mean by the next verse, which says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That man ought not to expect to receive anything, being a double-minded man. Now, the word double-minded is, as far as we can tell, a word James coined. There's no antecedent. It's, it's you know, like this, diasuke, two-souled. He's internally divided. And I think it means something like this. When you come to God asking for wisdom, you better not be coming because maybe you'll do it. You better not be coming, eh, let's see what God has to say. Let's see what wisdom the Lord has. You come being undivided, one-souled, not split down the middle in two. You come like that, you're going to get wisdom. But if you come like, I want to do this, but let's see what the Lord, maybe the Lord says, I, maybe he'll say I can do what I want to do. Maybe. You, you're not going to get anything if you come like that. So, so in faith is... is further clarified as not double-minded, not internally divided. Come as a loyal servant of God. Come saying, Lord, if you'll tell me what to do, I will endeavor to do it. Come like that. You're going to know all you need to know. I mean, I can find no examples in Scripture of people who want to please and serve God unable to because of a lack of information. I just don't know of that ever happening. We want to please you, Lord, but sadly we don't know what to do. Um, it's always not that, but we don't really want, we want to do what we want to do. So, so that's, that's what I'd say asking in faith means. It's not grinding, I believe, I believe, I believe. It's not like Peter Pan. Rather, come undivided, sincerely, through and through, and you're going you're gonna to know what you need to do. Jesus says the same thing. I mean, it's the same thing Jesus says in John 7. Anyone got the Bible? Hopefully you all do. John seven seventeen. Somebody read John seven seventeen to me. Hey, you got it, Deb. And she's got a microphone. Somebody, oh, but Abner <laughs> snuck in. Hello, Abner. Oh, if he any- snuck that away from you, Sophie. <laughs> If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. So the Jews are like asking Jesus at the, when he goes up to the Jerusalem, the Feast of Booths, on what authority are you teaching? And Jesus responds, 
if you want to please God, you'll know. If I'm teaching on my own, I mean, this is what I tell people who are unbelievers. Jesus promises, if you're coming to the Bible honestly, knowing I'm a sinner, knowing I need a Savior, should I look here or should I look to the Quran? Should I look here or should I look to the Book of Mormon? Jesus says, if you come honestly, you will know whether this teaching is from God or from man. You know, and I, I think that teaching holds true not just for the, Jesus, the Jews Jesus is talking to, but to anyone today. Who, who, if you can be honest, if you come sincere, like, I want to be right with God. I want to please God. I just need to know, is this true? Jesus, John 7, 17, you'll know. God will testify to his word. Absolutely. Um, so I think that's in a similar vein to James coming undivided, you know. Do you really, do you want to obey God? You just want to know what he wants you to do? You just need wisdom? He'll give it to you. Okay. Any other, I got four minutes to hit, George, to hit George's question, unless there's another question. Four minutes. Okay, how do you know if you're walking into a fight or if you are, um, if you're speaking rightly? Uh, if you're online, you're probably doing it wrong. No. Um, I, I've seen very little good fruit. I've never met anybody. Like, how did you come to this position? Well, I used to think another position, and then I argued with somebody online, and they convinced me they were right. I, I'm not saying it's, it's pointless to argue online. It's just there's very little fruit that comes of it. Um, but, I, but let me say this. I would look through whether or not the, the conversation... First of all, is this something I need to be engaged in? If you're dealing with the local body and the life of the believer and, and things like that, then yeah, I have business to be involved in. So the first question with this possible conflict is like, do I have any business even being in this? Um, if I just meet somebody somewhere um, and we start getting conversations, it starts going weird, I can just pull out of it. I, I went to a graduation party yesterday. I met another pastor. We're talking. If, if we started disagreeing, given the context, probably just back out. We didn't, but, but like why? What's necessary about this? Um, the, the second thing would be uh, Scripture commands us not only to speak the truth but to do it in love. And if things are going sideways, I think it's helpful to, to, to stop and say, wait a second, either checking yourself or even asking them is the way I'm going about this the issue, right? So 2 Timothy 3, the Lord's bondservant or slave must not be quarrelsome but kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. Now, there's all the qualifications. Am I doing that? Because God says, if perhaps God will grant them repentance, lead them to the knowledge of the truth, and then they come to their snare. They, they come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. So I'm just responsible to be not quarrelsome, kind, patient when wronged, right, all that. And God says he determines whether they're going to listen or not. So that would be another good check. Uh, and then finally would just be at a certain point if you're dealing with folly just stop talking right so you've got these dual proverbs that come back to back answer a fool according to his folly lest he be wise in his own eyes do not answer a fool according to his own folly lest you become what's the last bit of that lest you basically lest you become a fool too. lest you be like him there is a time and a place to show folly and to reveal it and there's a time and a place to say, yeah, this is just, I'm not going to throw my pearls before swine. I'm just going to move on here. Um, I was watching somebody, um, a little, they were doing this in like a video expose. They were going around interviewing about white guilt. 
white privilege? And do you think all people are all white people are racist? Do you think it's wrong to judge an entire group? Of course, it's wrong to judge an entire group. You should never judge and you should deal with people as individuals. And I don't think the people being asked, like whether or not you think that's real, all he's demonstrating is conflicting internal conflict. You've just judged an entire group, and then you say it's wrong to judge an entire group. You know, I'm not trying to necessarily take a side on that issue. I'm just using it as an example of. Now, the thing is, it went right over most of their heads, at which point I think he did the smart thing to sort of back down. And he's doing it on our behalf that we can see, oh, wow, you haven't got a clue. Um, but I think ultimately it's wisdom. So like knowing how to answer every man. It's not as though there's one way to talk to people. I, you, know, you should talk to children differently than you talk to adults. I think you should talk to men differently than you talk to women. Um, I think you should talk to unbelievers differently than you talk to believers. I, so there isn't like here's the right way to talk to people. And, but when you start getting into conflict, final point, go to James 4. James 4 Wisdom is known. This is fascinating to me. Um, I think James will be one of the next books we go over after Ephesians. Um, I am eager to teach through James. James 3, I mean, by the way, so not 4, James 3. We'll see if it's, I don't think it'll be next, but I think it'll be the book after next. If, we'll see. So James 3 starts off with a warning about not many of us being teachers. And then he gets down to how you can tell a, a good teacher. And what's fasc- fascinating to me here is his entire exam is ethical, not um, content. It, there are passages where there are doctrinal content passages. So First John, anyone who denies the spirit or anyone who denies that Jesus came in the flesh is playing for the other team. They're the spirit of the Antichrist. So there's just a flat-out doctrinal test. Or Paul, if you, if you think you've got to be circumcised to be saved, you're severed from Christ, you're going to hell. Okay, here, there's no doctrinal content in view at all. It's entirely, look, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there can be disorder in every vile practice. So another thing we should be aware of is the second the conversation, those factors enter in, we can know with certainty sin has entered into this conversation. Um, You and I, George, argued, I mean, debated for about four hours, right? With Daniel Moore. So it was like Daniel and I tag-teaming in the debate with George. And I think the whole thing was peaceable. So you can have vigorous disagreement, robust Discussion. It was not like, so what do you think? How do you, it, was, it was an intense discussion. And I don't think any of these evil fruits came out. That's great. But when it does come, especially when you're dealing with believers, the warning is, the danger is, and this is something I have to work at because I like to win arguments. Um, I used, I, no, the temptation is, okay, I know clearly it's weird and one of us is probably sinning, but if I can just make two more points, then I'll win. You'll, you'll thank me for this later. And James is saying that's not the wisdom. No, no, no. James is saying that wisdom is from hell. It's demonic. The wisdom that says proceed when these fruit are being born is not from above, right? By his good conduct. So what you should do is say, well, hold on a sec. Stop. We've got an important thing we're discussing, but 
I, I, I get the sense that something's off or weird here. Am I, are you upset? Am I offending you? Am I being rude? Like, what's going on? Let's sort this out. Transgression has entered into our discussion. Let's root it out and solve it. And then we can get back to the thing we were discussing. Um, this is, but if you have bitterness, jealousy, and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. It's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. I, I've had to go back to that again and again because my temptation to think, okay, maybe I am being a little pushy. Maybe I'm, be, but man, if I just two more, two more things, and you'll see I'm right. And it's demonic wisdom that says to do that. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now, you can do that, and people can still get mad at you. They got mad at Jesus. But in short, George, that would be like measure yourself by passages like that or Second Timothy. And I think God will give you the wisdom to know, am I using demonic wisdom? Am I causing the conflict? And, or is it just the darkness hates the light? And the other question is, is there any purpose for this? I mean, it's back to Ephesians 4. Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but only such as is needful for the moment, right? So you want to be at peace with this guy at the wedding. I use the example um, of that. Maybe that's not the place to do it. Maybe, it's the, maybe the place for the wedding is to rejoice with your friends. Or maybe you test the waters, because, man, wouldn't it be a d- wonderful, in addition to celebrating this wedding, to celebrate peace? And if you sense, no, this is getting weird, now's not the time and place to push this all the way through. Now's the time to celebrate with our friends. We tried. We tested the waters. Is there any openness to talking? No, there wasn't. It seemed a little weird. And just back out. I mean, things like, uh, we'll talk. But we're over time, folks. Thank you very much. See you all next week. What? Those are the printouts right here. Oh!